Greetings, my friends, and welcome to another off-the-cuff episode of Minute with Mark. This one we're titling How to Activate an Abundance Paradigm in Daily Life and Business. I've got a handful of things. Here's a couple topics I just jotted down that we're going to cover real quick. The first one is um, how this new model came to be. The -the off-the-cuff model came because in the, the past episodes, which I'll still do some, Minute with Marks were really highly refined sonic experiences. If you go back to the Hawaiian Adventure one, we had about five tracks laid on top of each other. We had the whale sounds. We had my harmonica from the island. We had the soundtrack. It was really kind of a, the whole kit and caboodle was a pretty, pretty full experience, um, which takes hours to create. And I was proud of the craftsmanship of it. And I, I really liked it. And people really literally were begging for more podcasts. So it worked that way. If you listen to the David and Goliath episode, we did, you know, it was about four to five hours for that 90 second intro because the song selection, as well as the mixing of the lyrics to match exactly with the verbiage. So it would crescendo at the right time and the text would enter at the right time. I mean, it was it was a four or five hours for 90 seconds. So I'm listening to Ferris's podcast the other day, and somewhere he came up with a question or was asked a question, what would it look like if this were easy? Like, And I started applying that and asking myself that in every area of my life. Like, what would it look like if my podcast was easy? And what it would look like is I'd flip the podcast, you know, I'd flip my laptop open, and I'd just share you know, I just spit what was hot on the day and what I was dealing with and usable stuff for the listeners. So anyway, following that model, as I shared in the last podcast, our, our listens, um, 25% of our total listens in the last 90 days have come in the last seven days because I'm cranking out more podcasts. So regarding the abundance paradigm, rule number one on abundance is attempt to be abundant. They, there was a study, and I don't remember this, I, I don't remember the situation exactly, but there was a pottery class, and one class was asked to create, by the end of the semester, a perfect pot. Okay, so the individual was sat down and said, your goal is to create a perfect pot, and that is what you turned in. Okay, the other class in the experiment was told to create as many pots that were functioning as possible on the little pottery wheel. Well, at the end, the class that was to produce as many pots as possible knew they were masters of pottery, whereas the other class that was trying to get the perfect pot created, they kind of sucked because nothing could ever be turned in because nothing was perfect enough. And so they kept starting over and starting over and going for perfection. So in the abundance paradigm, sometimes just really sloppy abundance. In the midst of sloppy abundance, you you actually can reach some form of perfection, get a real grasp on your subject. And so a little food for thought on that from the paradigm, um, the abundance paradigm And, but again, the off the cuff model came from what would it look like if it were easy? So you might want to ask yourself that in your marriage, what would it look like if this was easy? What would it look like if it was easy? Um, What if, what would it look like if breakfast was easy? What would it look like if supper was easy? What would it look like if um, health was easy? What would it look like if losing weight was easy? What would it look like if gaining muscle was easy? And I think I've applied that all across the board and it's gotten me pretty cool things. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Um, number one is we're going to talk a little bit about logo creation and 
bringing an abundance paradigm into that. We've used 99designs, all sorts of designers, all the time, uh, many, many, many times. And just today, there was a really salient, um, very salient um, abundance paradigm that we've used. Plus, I have a couple tips on how to get a logo that you want way faster. Because really, 99designs, if you don't, if you come to them and just say, hey, I want a logo and here's kind of what I want. You are going to deal with such frustration. It's literally the worst service in history. All these freelance services are literally disastrous if you just wing it and say, here's kind of what I want. You're going to get Mickey Mouse, like Mickey Mouse is actually a huge brand. You're going to get just third grade efforts. You're going to get horrible designers. I've experienced all this. I'll tell you what we've done that nails it, condenses our time, gets us a way better product. And I'll share that in a minute. Um, another thing is yesterday we sold, I just got an email from Tyler. We sold 226 hard copies of one of my books, Million Dollar Day, which if you go to Amazon, it just hit bestseller status at um, in three different categories in time management and personal success. So it was really cool. That's a productivity experience. I'll probably share more about how we hit the t bestseller thing. But regarding selling you know, a couple hundred copies, and it was really done in just a few hours because I didn't ask people to buy one copy. I asked people to buy seven copies. And I'll tell you why bringing an abundance paradigm there is the difference in going small, which is one copy, which any, if I would have asked, we would have got, you know, 30, 40 people to buy a copy because um, I created an offer for them to purchase. But instead, we had a 30 people, minimum 30 and actually more, buy seven copies. We had a bunch of those people buy eight and we, one of our clients bought 14 copies. Basically, because I brought an abundance paradigm to it, I'll just share kind of why I did that. Um, and a quick note on that is years ago, freaking A, this is about eight years ago, I bought a course called the Virtual Book Tour by Alex Mondozian. I don't know if he sells it anymore. It was $2,000. I bought it on a credit card. I had no money at the time. I had no book at the time. And he said basically that the purpose of a book is to get to a high-end back-end. So the purpose of a book is just like a calling card where a reader will read it and go, man, this was really great value. What else does this guy, what else does this company offer? I want to go deeper into this kingdom. Well, when I realized that, as soon as I heard that, I said, well, screw the book. I'm just going to go deep into the kingdom right away and build these high-end products. Because So I skipped over the book for the first like decade of my career and just went straight for the for the jugular on the high-end product. Like with Solomon CEO, initially, I was going to release it as a book. I hired a ghostwriter who was a best-selling author. He ghost wrote, he ghost, uh, his ghost written for Jay Abraham and many bestsellers. And I found him on the back of a Rob Report classified ad. Isn't that funny? And, and we became friends. But he told me the Solomon brand needs to be in a book. It needs to be in a book fast. And it just didn't, uh, I couldn't work with a ghostwriter. It just didn't catch my ghost, I guess. And so I just went straight for the $1,000 um, course to the high-end thing, and we've sold millions of dollars of that course. And then once I've seen that it works, now I'm retroactively writing books after I see the concept works. So sidebar on that, but Alex, in back then, I remember he said, don't sell one book at a time. Never sell a book at a time. Sell at least three books at a time, or sell 10 books at a time, or sell 30 books at a time. And so I got to thinking, like, I'm not going to attempt to sell one copy at a time. That sounds like a really slow path to um, royalties, to influence, to the spreading of a message. So I'm going to learn to ask for seven or more copies at a time, which is what I did yesterday. And we sold over 100 copies in 60 minutes. And then at the end of the day, it was over 200 in just a few hours. So, 
I guess I'm kind of sharing the abundance paradigm on that. Ask bigger. Think how you, and I'll share the strategy on how I did that. Uh, finally, I had a young entrepreneur text me yesterday, and here's the short, I'm going to just read the text. He, he's a young kid. He's, he's a fantastic kid. He's earned a quarter of a million bucks when he was like, um, I think he was 18 when he did this. And he had a little bit of a hiccup with IRS, with, you know, longevity of the business model, this and that. And here's what he, here's what he texted me. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of blur out some of the things, but he said, Hey Mark, I'm asking your advice on paying back debts. Long story short, I'm in a partnership, yada, yada. I've made 33 K in the last six weeks. So the kid's 19. He's got it. He's getting a stride again, but the kid is going to have strides his whole life. Okay. Anyway, I made 33 K in the last six weeks. So four or five, uh, five ish, six ish, five and a half grand a week. Okay. Pretty cool stuff. Retail space, not a biz op, not an MLM. Um, not that it mattered if it would, but this is just straight retail to an end user. He said, I've spent a, I spent a bunch of ch- a big chunk of it on new top, new laptop, new flights, new clothes, etc. Of course, good for him. You know, got to do that when you're young. Uh, I've saved a consistent 10% yada yada account that I set up through Limitless because in Limitless we have all our guys um, save money. And then I said I got he said I, I got about 6k owed to a vendor from the past, and he goes. Um, I have about 10k left to the IRS, which I'm paying monthly, 136 dollars a month. Should I set up a pay? You know, basically, how should I allocate towards paying off these debts? Thanks for your help. So I said, you know, give me a call for five minutes because texting answers to me is just like grading. You know, like taking, trying to chew gravel or something. It's it's very time consuming. Typing is very expensive mentally. It doesn't communicate clear enough, and it you know. So I like to hop on the phone for advice stuff. And I like to sell with typing because typing can be very effective as a sales tool. Anyway, um, and I gave him an abundance paradigm. And I guess we'll talk, I'll try to get to that because I'm doing this in 30 minutes. So we'll see if I can get to my answers on that. But if I don't, let me give you the big one I, I gave him. I said, here's the thing, son. I said, my first bit of advice, and I'll tell you more what we're going to do to allocate that money later. Um, but I said, number one, what I recommend is I recommend for about a month, you don't do anything with that money. I said, you let that money sit in your savings account and you don't do anything. I said, because here's a dangerous cycle you're entering into as a young entrepreneur. And this is very common for almost all entrepreneurs is you do an entrepreneur thing. You have a surge, you make a bunch of money. Now, because you're a rookie, because you didn't come from money, you know nothing about the IRS. And so you fall behind on taxes And then you know nothing about longevity of a business or how to actually modulate your advertising and modulate your processes. And I said, then you tend to blow all your money because you're going everywhere and buying everything and think the train's never going to stop. And so you don't build any savings, you don't build any investments, you don't build anything. And then all of a sudden, the thing dries up and now you're in debt and now you're out of money. And he he just was that um, several months ago. And now he's back in the game doing 5K a week or 5.5K a week. And I said, what I, what I want you to realize, number one, is you're not getting lucky right now. I said, you think because your first experience, you had this big rush of money, quarter million bucks, you know, as a young kid, and then you fell behind in this and that. So now you're making money again, and all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, oh, shit, I've got money. i got to pay off my debts right now. i got to buy everything I've got to buy because this money is going to dry up, and then I'm going to be fucked. And then it just the whole thing starts happening. So I said, number one, what you're going to do what I recommend you do. And I say, you can do whatever you want. It's your money. 
and it, no, I don't have any say in any of this. So I said, what I want you to do right now is I want you to look in the mirror and realize this is how my life is going to go. I'm going to be making money consistently for the rest of my life. There'll be swings on the amounts, but I don't need to panic and lump off all the money to the IRS. I don't need to pay off all my vendors right away. I don't need to do anything with this money. I'm going to let it sit. And I said, I want you to just let it sit so you can prove to yourself that you can earn money and not blast it out and get rid of it right away. I said, Addicts, addicts and gamblers. I said, gamblers, a, a classic sign of a gambler is once a gambler is winning at the highest level, he doesn't feel alive. And this is in Two for the Money. If you watch Al Pacino, when he walks into the Gamblers Anonymous, it's the most one of the most classic acts. I mean, he, I love Pacino. Who cares? He says, you don't feel alive until you're pushing it all away. Meaning you get all those winnings, you want to push it all away to get yourself back to zero, to get yourself back to that adrenaline that you need to produce again. And I said, entrepreneurs and addicts are kind of, they're, they're cut from a very similar genetic make frame. And I said, I don't want you to push this money away and pay off this and pay off that and, and blow this and buy that and then be back to zero and back to crisis so you can force yourself to produce again. I said, you know, now... Guess who I'm speaking to? My past self. This is exactly how I used to operate. I was four or five years into the game making consistently five to fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a week. And I remember the whole time going, geez, I'm just getting lucky right now. And it wasn't until I got a little older where I was like, you know what? This is just you gotta learn to just chill out and not try to push this money away from you and get rid of it again. So I guess I'll leave, I'll leave his subject with basically what I told him is I said, the IRS has really, really low interest rates. And I said, you want to learn how to, you know, I, here's what I, I started the thing and I said, okay, um, have you heard what Einstein said about compound interest? And I said, now Einstein, I framed it up like this, you know, there's the seven wonders of the world, the Grand Canyon. It's absolutely stunning. And just imagine things that are inexplainably, mysteriously powerful and beautiful. There's seven of them. You can Google them and find out what they are. Einstein said the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. And he said those who understand it, earn it. Those who don't understand it, pay it. And I said, right now, you have an opportunity with this swell of money to get into some safe um, safe financial vehicles that will give you long-term financial um, compounding interest. And I said, you're dealing with the IRS? That's a low interest. You don't have to worry about that. It's super low. Just maybe up your payments a little bit. But basically, I said, what I want you to understand is there's an interest game going on, and I want you to start learning how to have compound interest because it's so mysteriously powerful over the course of the next 40 years of your life that $1,000 right now can, can vary consistently 10 times for you in 40 years. And so anyway, we went on a little bit of little education on just the nature of interest. But anyway, my biggest message to him for the start of it is that I'm not even going to go in too deep into what I want you to, or what I even suggest you do with that money. I just want you to sit on it for a little bit and see that in the next 30 days, you're going to make a bunch more. And then I said, then you're going to learn how to start having compound interest work for you instead of work against you, which is what it works against for probably 98% of the American population is drowning, being on the wrong side of compounding interest with their mortgages, with their credit card debts, with their car loans. And it's just literally draining 
their income at extraordinary levels. And I said, I'm going to teach you how to opt out of that matrix completely. Okay. Um, moving on. One other thing with abundance is what I said I was going to, I'm still in the introduction right now. Is this a bad dream or what? Anyway, um, it, here's a, here's an abundance paradigm I really want you to think about is it's this idea of getting, asking yourself, what is the cheaper and comparable and nearer and nower reality of the great expensive fantasy that I desire? Okay. Rewind this and listen to that again because I don't even remember how I worded it. But basically, it's what's, what is the cheaper, comparable, equivalent, nearer, nower, cheaper, freer reality that I can access now versus waiting and wanting and yearning for this highly expensive futuristic fantasy desire? Now, I'm not saying don't want the futuristic fantasy desire. I think it's it drives you, it prods you, it, it moves you. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let me give you two examples. And the abundance paradigm allows you to feel the feelings and taste the tastes that you're pushing off into the future once you can afford it. So whenever you ask yourself, when I get more money, then I'm gonna, and then you fill in the blank, you're making money a barrier to a feeling. You really kind of want a feeling more than the object. And so let me give you a case in point. I have a vision that I've started sketching out for a private, um, it's, it's imagine kind of like a private sanctuary slash studio. So I will have stained glass, I'll have skylights, it'll be stone, combination of stone, woodwork, fireplace. Um, I know where it's going to be. It's amongst hundreds of oak trees on my parents' 11 acres that the family owns near a river. I've, I've kind of got it sketched out. I've got the place. I've already started prepping it and, and the whole thing. I've got it. It's probably a $100,000 room, ultimately. It's going to be primarily wind. I mean, I can't wait to make it make it happen someday. Well, anyway, what I really want there is Shani and I and the kids, and I love sacred spaces. I love the intention behind it. I love... Um, and when I'm in a sacred space full of deliberate intention to worship, to separate outside of the world, to get kind of outside of the matrix for a minute, to escape it and dwell on the infinite, dwell on the lofty, dwell on God, dwell on our the longevity, on our legacy. Just that's, that's I like that space. Actually proposed to Shannon. Uh, for the first time, we went through a couple proposals, but the first one was in a prairie sanctuary. It was just her and I, and shafts of light were beaming through, almost like like Darth Vader's, you know, lightsaber, right onto her in a pew through this multicolored stained glass. And I got on my knees and I said, you know, I want to start this proposal in a house of God because we're going to end in a house of God someday. And then I got on my knees and did my thing. And then we got disengaged about four months later. And then I reproposed under different at a different medium later. But anyway, we love sacred places. And so I yearn for this futuristic fantasy, you know, place that I'll create, which will also serve as a recording studio and as a production place, as kind of an office. I hate to use the word office because it sounds so horrible, but uh, a place of productivity, creativity. I would paint there. I would sing there. I would record there. It'd be kind of a multi-purpose place. But so what is the cheaper, nearer, freer experience? 
Well, I just got back literally less than 30 minutes ago. I went to an adoration chapel at a beautiful Roman Catholic um, campus, absolutely beautiful. And it was private, barely anyone was in there. There's probably, I would guess, there's probably $150,000 of religious artifacts in there. And I, I basically generated the same feeling and the same sense of escape, which for me isn't escape like, oh, I'm so scared I've got to escape the world. It's more like I'm going to fuel and resource myself so that I can give to the world. So there's a big, that's one of the, the religious paradigm is I want to flee and escape the cruels, evils of the world. And religion is my little hut hideout underneath the bridge that I get to, you know, say none of this matters because ultimately I'm going to die. Like that's one paradigm. There's another paradigm where it's like, I'm going to source from the creator creative power and dynamic energy so that I can bring it to my people, to my family, to my own experience. It's a totally different angle. But anyway, um, but I'm very nonpartisan on places of worship. I love Episcopalian places. I love Anglican, um, Roman Catholic. I like, I, I'm not prejudiced too bad on those environments. I just want the escape. So my point is I regularly, I frequent them. And, and it scratches the itch and it actually deepens the desire for me to ultimately have more models and more points of reference for what my private sanctuary would look like. So that's an example of the freer, nearer, cheaper reality of what you desire now that you can scratch the itch to get that feeling. Here's a second one that's very practical for business is shared working spaces are popping up all over all over the place, even in, in less metropolitan environments. And I was in one and it was a cool place. I liked it. It was 450 bucks a month. I had 24 hour access. I had a private room up to two hours a day and you know, I had my own printer and could do my own address, yada, 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 yada. Well, anyway, so I'm in there. It's, it's 450 a month. I'm kind of liking it. And, but what happened was I was, people kind of started knowing, finding out who I was. So I'd be in my little room and very respectfully, and if, you know, I probably have a couple of these people listen to the podcast, all respect, you guys get what I mean on this one, though. I'm sitting in there, and very respectfully, someone would just kind of, like, knock on the window or just say, hey, you know, I heard I heard you're kind of the internet guy around here, and, you know, I'm doing this project, what do you think? And pretty soon it was, like, distracting for me to go to this place because it wasn't, I had no anonymity, and I was, like, this internet guy, right? And so... I quit going there, but I don't like to just work out of my house. I like to work out of my house. I like to work out of the balcony of my master bedroom. I like to work in my backyard. I like to work at my cigar bar. And and I liked working at the shared workspace. Well, anyway, I was kind of yearning to get back, and I'm actually in, in a workspace right now that is not my house or any of my normal places. I'm actually at a public library. Now, here's how this happened, and it's it's insane, actually. This public library in Gilbert, Arizona, they do public libraries nice. This is new. It's got a magnificent, gigantic ceiling, um, airlit, skylight, skylighting everywhere. It overlooks a riparium, a uh, bird riparium, and, and a little lake. And so I can take a little break and walk there. The benches and this work environments are very ergonomically friendly, and it's modern and I'm utterly shocked because Matt, I got to give Matt Shetler more, more shout out right now. He told me he's been working out of here the last couple weeks. And I'm like, you are such a loser. 
because I actually started my business at a public library on the free computers next to homeless people. And so just the thought of it, it was repulsive for me to work out of a public library. But anyway, I said, you know what? It's by the Reparium. I could see like working a couple hours in a studious environment and then doing a walk in the Reparium and, you know, it's near our house and I'll just play with it. So I do the tour and I find out that you can reserve these rooms and I'm in one right now and it's got a whiteboard. The Wi-Fi has been perfect the last couple of days I've been here. This room is actually more private than the one I was paying $450 for. I am totally anonymous here because this place is so big. I just look like I'm working on my thesis for whatever and everyone around me, I love this place. It's amazing. Well, anyway, it's free. I would say from an even trade, not even from like, well, this is free. That's why I like it. I would say in a, in a value setting, I would pay if it was just monetary. This is probably three times the value scenically and professionally for me than the 450 bucks a month. This is probably a $1,500 a month experience for me comparative, but it's free. It's totally free. And then this really cool um, campus with the sanctuaries like four minutes away. So now I've got my little bird walking environment around the lake where I do my kind of my visualization. I've got anonymity, which is really what I love more than anything when I work. And I've got my private rooms that I reserve and I can do two hours a day at this this library and then two hours a day at another one right down the road that's almost just as nice. But here's here's my point. I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here. But what you can ask yourself is what is a freer, cheaper, nearer experience that'll give me kind of what I want in the future far off fantasy? So you know, like we'll be and I can give you a million examples. One would just be with crystals and rocks and you know like if you want to decorate your world um, semi-precious gems are awesome. You know, onyxes, or onyx is a little more expensive, I guess. But you look at just your quartz. Let's just take quartz and those kind of, those kind of materials. Um, in heaven, we find out that heaven is loaded with pearls and gold and all these precious stones. They're everywhere. And so I like, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. It's kind of a pattern and a paradigm that I like. And so I want to bring as much of heaven-like environment into my life, into especially my home surroundings. And so our house is loaded with crystals and loaded with plants and loaded with music and instruments and, and the whole thing. Okay, here's my point. I'm with some homies and we're in Sedona. And they're looking at fantastic, you know, $5,000, $10,000 crystals that these amethysts that are just gorgeous that you could set up by your bed that you just look at them and you feel, I don't know, you feel otherly. You feel I mean, these are ancient, they're beautiful, they're all sorts of things. And some of my homies were saying, you know, someday I'm going to get these. And I said, well, you know, this this desert rose here is is 25 bucks, and it's a, it's a cracked geode with beautiful crystals inside and you could... You could have it next to your bedside and have the lamp shine off those crystals. And it's a $25 solution to the itch you're going for. But do you notice how much resistance you have to the $25 solution? And I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not saying don't get the five, ten, twenty thousand dollar crystal and don't aim for it. I'm saying you got you can hack that right now for 25 bucks. And so this is a pattern, and it's an abundance pattern that I believe is is a non-denial pattern to get you into the spaces and the emotions and the feelings 
that we yearn for and to get more in touch tangibly for what we want in life. All right, well, this has been more than 30 minutes, so I'm going to cut this puppy off. I think there was a bunch of stuff we didn't cover that I said we'd cover. One thing about the logo, just to go back to it, is we finally shored up a logo that we liked. And this is a project that I don't own the rights to. I, I, was, I don't own the rights to this. I was paid in a different form. And anyway, um, I get a royalty on this thing, and I was given some advance, and it's, it's a cool project. Well, anyway, we have the logo done, and I'm given the final stamp of approval. Like, Mark, what do you think of this logo? And it's really hot. It's a beautiful logo. And I said, just send the designer. Let's get three more styles of color variations, and then we'll pick it. So we were happy, but Abundance says, let's go for three color variations so that we know for sure, for sure, and with extra emotional conviction that this is the perfect color scheme, it's the perfect logo. Because we've been chiseling away with these designers. And, and the other quick thing I was going to say about 99design, so I don't leave anybody hanging if you were interested in that, is if you come to them and just say, hey, I'd like a logo with an owl, okay, you're going to get middle school grade quality, like like school pep rally at the middle school quality owl. So what you got to do if you use any outsourcing um, work, any graphic, any logo, anything, any cinematography, anything like that, what I do is I find three highest level examples of the quality that I minimally, that the quality I'm striving for, the quality that I'm aiming for. When I was doing the Solomon CEO three-dimensional shield, Actually, the Warner Brothers intro to Batman Returns, it came across and it was like a rusting silver shield that had a third dimension on it. And I screenshotted that and I said, that is the image I'm actually going for merged over with the steel inside this logo. Can you do that? So I make a video, I find three references of quality that I'm aiming for, and I release the project with that. If you're lazy, and we don't do that little extra bit of work. It's 15, 20 more minutes for me to work it to, you know, get to find the resources that I want. I then send out the project to the designers, and they have an attitude of who they're dealing with. Now, I don't actually deal with it at all. I, at that point, it's handed off to the tech team. They deal with and curate everything, and they know my take, and they not they know I'm not going to like most anything that's created. And then they show me the stuff I'm going to like, and then I start saying, okay, awesome. Give it to us in four more colors. Try this angle. Try that. And we just throw an abundance mindset on top of it. But with 99designs, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to hate your life if you go to them and ask because it's an open source anybody. My son Isaac at 13 who – doesn't do logos could throw an offer on your project so anyway do a logo with find three comparables of the image and the style and the quality that you're looking for that's number one number two make a video you can use snagit um snagit is maybe 20 bucks or something it's a it's a pretty cool resource i use it all the time to make videos because i don't like spending the time on the phone i never talk pub in person to these designers because we don't need to we have the mediums of video so anyway and then I give a description. I say, here's what's happening. Like we just did a logo. Uh, in, in the end, it was probably two grand. But I said, you know, here's the thing. This logo is going to be the receiver of hundreds of thousands of dollars of a person's private wealth. I said, I want it to stand for something that is regal. I want it to seem otherly. I want it to seem almost of a religious quality. It's so 
endearing and so timeless. It's futuristic. It's modern. You can't peg it, and it's not going to be out of style next year. It's not going to. You're not going to look at it in 20 years and go, "Oh, that was ugh, that was from the early 2000s." Yuck. So I tell them exactly what I'm looking for, and it scares off all the shitty designers. And the ones that want to up their craft actually take on the project, and they love working with us because I'm pulling out more craft from them. And over and over, whether it's cinematography, whether it's logo design, whatever it is, a common, common refrain we hear from people we work with is, that was the best work I've ever produced. Thanks for pushing me. And people want to have that greatness pushed out of them. Most people come and they're like, I need a logo. Yeah, I need a thing. Yeah, I need that. And it just, it gets this lame, commodified feel to it. And if you're doing a business, your dreams deserve something better. Your clients deserve something better. All right, Mark Overson, signing out. Love you guys.